Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. School of Humans. Coffee yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I'm getting there. One story that we I know we haven't hit is the whole big story of the trip that caused you to quit the industry and pivot. Are you ready to tell that story this morning? Um... Uh, I'm working on it. My dad is preparing to tell me about his last trip. The trip that became the final straw in his smuggling career. I'd have to attribute that to uh, ego, arrogance, stupidity, carelessness, and foolishness. Yeah, I mean, that's at least five of the deadly sins, isn't it? It's 1988, and Reagan boosts the Anti-Drug Abuse Act, adding the death penalty for some drug-related crimes. My dad is nursing his 1986 loss of over half a million dollars to the Green Beret, the same year Reagan passed the mandatory minimum drug sentencing law, dramatically changing the pot-smuggling industry from a gentlemanly scene of hippie outlaws to a high-stakes underworld of ruthless crime syndicates circling the weed pond. I'm in eighth grade, top of the food chain at my artsy private primary school. I'm applying to expensive private high schools, nerdily obsessed with Shakespeare, the movie Willow, and slow dancing to ridiculous 80s ballads like Take My Breath Away by Berlin, as heard in the movie Top Gun. My big sister is back east for college, and my little brother is obsessed with the Star Wars trilogy, watching them on VHS daily. I'm still blissfully unaware my parents are drug smugglers. That news doesn't arrive for at least a year. I'm so oblivious to everything but the concept of French kissing, singing opera, and gossiping with my fellow hormone-riddled classmates, I don't even recall my dad being out of town for extended periods that year, or his cheerless mood when he returns, distressed, unnerved, and on the cusp of retreat from his 22-year smuggling career. I'm Rainbow Valentine, and this is Disorganized Crime. Smuggler's Daughter. Oh, in a doobie, 
Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. So this is how the final straw trip began. So it's the late 80s, and my dad's old friend and driver, Mr. Sandwich, introduces him to a smuggler we'll call Smuggler Dick, with 10,000 pounds of pot set to arrive in New York. My dad connects Smuggler Dick with his old New York City friend, Blondie, who can coordinate offloading the product with the New York City dock workers. Now, Smuggler Dick's 10,000 pounds are in a can, smuggler's lingo for shipping container. My dad plans on trucking a couple thousand pounds of Smuggler Dick's product to the West Coast for distribution. Now, dad doesn't really know the other people working on this trip. And from the beginning, he notices his old friend Blondie doesn't seem too eager about the trip. He seemed very flaky about the whole thing, but he said, yeah, he's got people. Uh, on the docks, and, but they're not, not the greatest people to be dealing with. You don't want to fuck around with them. I mean, basically, they were gangsters. Now, this was unusual for my dad to work outside his network. He didn't know Smuggler Dick before the trip, and he didn't know Blondie's offloader affiliates. And these offloaders wanted cash up front. He, he said, okay, well, they want some uh, real money. Uh, they want some down money to, uh, to make it real, that you're, you're real about this. He asked for, and I gave him, $180,000 of mine. Now, this was also unusual. My dad's pot smuggling world was always deals made on handshakes. This was the first time my dad ever gave a down payment for offloaders. I knew who theoretically was the main man, the main smuggler. He was friendly and he was just seemed like a reasonable guy. And he didn't even have the money for it. I can't believe I used my money instead of his. And uh, I theoretically trusted my, uh, my old pal Blondie. Simultaneously, as my dad and Sandwich are waiting for the East Coast can of Dick's 10,000 pounds, Dad's smuggling associates on the West Coast bring in an enormous load of 200,000 pounds of Thai weed. 200,000 yeah. pounds? Yeah, and it was, uh, my understanding was it was dropped in, in four 
four places on the West Coast uh, in 50,000 pound drops. 200,000 pounds, that's sort of a lot because it goes through channels, even 50,000 at a pop. So, it, and it was good. It was amazing. It was really quite good. Everyone working in the industry knows about this huge Thai trip. And since my dad knows the West Coast crew, Smuggler Dick persuades my dad to front him 1,000 pounds of the West Coast Thai to sell in New York in the interim as they all wait for the East Coast can to arrive. A thousand pounds of ties, wholesale value, is about twelve hundred a pound. So my dad fronts Dick about one point two million dollars in tie. Remember, my dad has been fronting and been fronted thousands of pounds of pot in his twenty-plus year smuggling career. Fronting is absolutely common. But then everything goes sideways. We're in New York, and we're hanging out expecting we come in a few days before it's supposed to be, uh, the container's supposed to land. And Okay, we're waiting, and we hear nothing from my only connection to this whole trip, is uh, to the whole uh, last straw, the container, is Blondie at this point. It, it, you know, we wait and we wait, and we're there for a month or two. We can't stay in hotels for too long at a time. You can, it's not like you can park yourself in a fucking place for a month at a time. So we're moving around uh, hotels in New York. That's when it got stressful. And Blondie never talked to me. I would call him and call him. He wouldn't answer the phone and he didn't return many of my calls. It's weeks past the East Coast can's scheduled arrival, and no one has any idea of what's going on, because Blondie has gone dark. It's becoming clear that no one, not Smuggler Dick, my dad, Sandwich, or Blondie, is going to secure any cannabis from this shipment. And it's obvious that my dad's down payment to Blondie for the offloaders has disappeared. The smuggler says, hey man, I know it's, it's bullshit, I, knew it came, I know it came in. And he says, you, your side. Somebody ripped off my thing. I'm not paying you for the, for the thousand pounds. Everything went bad every which way. My dad loses big time. First, his deposit of $185,000 to Blondie for the offloaders is gone. And then Smuggler Dick, angry that his can has disappeared and wanting vengeance on someone, anyone, refuses to pay for the 1,000 pounds of West Coast tie my dad had fronted him. In total, he's been ripped off for about $1.4 million, which today would be worth more than $3 million. I was paralyzed. I was deeply hurt, hurt, emotionally hurt. It really closed me up again. It didn't happen over like two days. You know, you get busted, boom, it happens. Or you lose something somewhere, you know it happens. This was this long, drawn out, like a cancer and then you die. It, it, it just was telling me, okay, this world is just not what it used to be. The quality of the criminal has gone way downhill. 
That's my dad's attorney on retainer, Bernie Siegel's line. The quality of the criminal has gone down. And in 1988, my dad realizes his world of pot smuggling has dramatically changed. It's becoming the antithesis to his familiar scene of ethical hippie outlaws and gentleman handshakes. The old ways of business are coming to an end. Red flags are all over the landscape. Friends are getting busted left and right, and real gangsters, possibly murderous, are honing in. My dad is floored by this giant ripoff and his longtime friend Blondie's inability to communicate. Reagan's war on drugs raises the stakes in everything related to my dad's industry. Pot smuggling is more dangerous, more expensive, more ruthless. The bigger the money, the bigger the sharks. And suddenly, the psychedelic pioneers find themselves running in the same circles as the mafia and the Mexican cartel. You go to the other side of the world where all of these came from, these different different cannabis uh, uh, drugs came from, and it's not like here, where we didn't use guns and we didn't do this stuff and we, you know... The other side of it, you know, in Colombia or in Thailand, I mean, it were run by militias because it's huge money. It's it's so beyond gangs, it's armies. You know, it was really my own choosing. I didn't want to get quite that close to the flame. And when I did, that time I got burned. And I'd have to say it was the first time I, I knowingly got involved with uh, what I believe was gangsters. And you could feel the whole game changing because at the same time, while I lost a thousand pounds for these other guys, their whole trip was getting busted all over the place. Defeated, Dad and Sandwich returned to Mill Valley. That all the shit just hitting the fan in this yearish of time. That was like time to move on for me. That losing all that money and all that stuff was terrible. It wasn't like the old days anymore, and I could smell the car. You know, I could just smell that it. I didn't want to be around all this shit. There were. I had never been ripped off in my life. I had. I mean, a whole bunch of these things. It was just screaming at me, "Get out! This is not what it used to be." Dad is done. He's determined to retire from pot smuggling. The risk has finally outweighed the reward. I'm Rainbow Valentine, and this is Disorganized Crime. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. 
We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. While my dad was consumed by mobsters, millions, and marijuana, I'm obsessing over the movie Beetlejuice, my role in Midsummer Night's Dream, and UB40's song Red Red Wine. Now, Dad never let on to me that he'd returned home crushed from battle. I vaguely remember he was moody, but that wasn't too unusual. And I was embarking on teenhood, completely oblivious to anything unintrinsic to my hormonal, theatrical teen life. And Dad, always an expert at seeing the empty glass half full, took us river rafting down the Grand Canyon shortly after the final straw trip. I never knew he was suffering. So popping by our house every now and again are the West Coast smugglers looking for the 1.2 million in Thai weed or cash they'd fronted my dad, which had been stolen by smuggler Dick, whose cans supposedly never arrived in New York City. Luckily for my dad, the West Coast smugglers who fronted him the 1,000 pounds of Thai were counterculture outlaws, and they never did anything aside from knock on our door for a few years. And a guy who I knew, but I didn't know, I knew his face, would come knock on my door every six months and ask, have you done anything? I said, I've retired. This thing blew my mind. I don't have money. We have our house, and that's all we have. My dad's reasonably certain that Blondie's offloaders were in the mafia and took his 185000 plus the can. However, Blondie never returned Dad's phone calls, never spoke about the trip, and didn't really talk to my dad again. Four years go by. I attend an expensive college prep private high school in Marin, mostly populated by non-hippie kids from old California money. Early in high school, my big sister reveals to me that our parents are drug smugglers, but she calls them drug dealers. Now, I've avoided the overwhelming topic since then, focusing on my nerdy dedication to theater, music, and art. However, as high school progressed, our family's financial hardship began to surface. In 1991, my dad sells our Tahoe house and becomes a real estate agent, which doesn't go well. And by my senior year in high school, my dad is broke. How do you replace making half a million dollars from a handshake and a cross-country drive with a truck of pot disguised by thrift store furniture? You can't put a resume out there. And my unconventional, outspoken, often misunderstood dad isn't fit to work for anyone but himself. He's desperate. In 1992, a small opportunity arises. A meager trip of 50 pounds. Peanuts compared to what my dad was used to smuggling. But in need of money to support his family, he calls Hi-Fi. Hi-Fi was my dad's main guy in New York. 
meaning my dad would truck loads of pot to New York City to Hi-Fi to distribute. And dad and Hi-Fi were also extremely close friends. They'd been through a lot together. So in the early 80s, my dad's guy in New York City was actually Neil. I talked about Neil in episode 6 because Neil introduced my dad to fine wine investing. Now, when Neil was 21, he tragically died in a house fire the night he returned to New York City after spending the weekend at my family's home celebrating his godson's first birthday. Neil was my little brother's godfather. I'll never forget my alarm coming upon my parents in the kitchen, clinging to each other and sobbing, gently telling me Neil had died which didn't make sense because he had just been standing in our kitchen alive the day before. I was eight. Well, before his awful death, Neil was also a pot dealer to rock stars and required a bodyguard. Enter Hi-Fi, a Vietnam vet and son of Holocaust survivors and freedom fighters. Hi-Fi met Neil in a stereo store, and they bonded over music. Now, Neil, Hi-Fi, and my dad become close friends as well as business partners. And then Neil dies unexpectedly. There's a mourning period of inertia, grief, and shock. And eventually, Hi-Fi takes over for Neil and becomes my dad's guy in New York City. My parents and Hi-Fi had a deep friendship as well as a fruitful business relationship. Perhaps Neil's extraordinary life and deathly presence infused my dad and Hi-Fi's alliance with distinction, integrity, and goodness. Who knows? But they were tight. Which makes the next thing that happened all the worse. And to make this chapter even more intense, emotional, and astonishing, I'm about to tell you the story my dad never told anyone for 30 plus years. This is his war buddy left on the field story that he was too ashamed to tell anyone, including his best friend, my mom, until now. So this story, I just asked dad to tell it to you and he's talked about it and he said, I've never told your mother, mom. I've never told you. I'm scared. We're still here, <laughs> so I get this is this is twenty seven years ago, <laughs> twenty seven years ago. But it it was something I didn't think you oh, needed shit. to know back then, because it was uh, it was kind of funky. Uh, basically, uh, as you know, by ninety two, we were starting to struggle. Yeah, we had money that carried us through for some years after yeah. after I quit but then uh, uh, looking for something else to do uh, we went through various things and anyway uh, by 92 I was feeling a little desperate uh, which was a, there's nothing worse than feeling desperate because all you can make is poor decisions so uh, so this feeling led to a thing of me sort of uh, reaching out to somebody who was a neighbor. But he said, hey, I've got a friend in Indiana. I, I can probably get uh, 
a bunch, uh, some stuff fronted to you. So the neighbor hooks up my dad with some guy in Indiana, an ominous sign. Remember, Indiana is where the Brooklyn boys were busted on the night of my birth when my dad lost his life savings but gained a child, me. Uh, well, in my cranking of my brain, then I thought, okay, well, I'll... I'll that, that's cool. I talked to Hi-Fi. Uh, we decided to meet in um, Bloomington. Met with this guy who was weird, and the pot he offered was really pretty funky. Pretty funky. But I pushed Hi-Fi into saying, oh, come on, let's start this, see what can happen. It's not that much. Uh, let's see if we can get something going again. Both Hi-Fi and I were skeptical of its quality. We, I mean, we knew it wasn't particularly good. And uh, But I feel like I was the one who sort of pushed him to it said, oh, come on, let's try. It's not that much, you know, get rid of it or whatever. And so we got it. We packaged it up in the motel room we were in. wasn't that much. So he he takes off back to uh, the east, and I jump back on a plane, come home, and I get a call. I don't know how... From, from his wife saying he just got busted in Ohio. I didn't know anything about what had happened on his side. It's not a happy story and it it, it was so such a downer and depressing it sort of for me beyond nailed the coffin shut of, okay, fuck this. You know, I, I, I quit four years before in 1988 because of this other thing. But this, I mean, that was just money. This was his life. They put him, they put him in jail. Uh, and he's the most careful guy. I don't know how it happened. I mean, it's a part of me that thinks uh, that uh, these guys dropped a dime. Remember, drop a dime means to turn in an associate to law enforcement in exchange for freedom. Fun fact, it originates from the vintage action of dropping a dime into a payphone to call the cops. So my dad's lifelong shame, based on his inability to help his number one guy, his ally, war buddy, Hi-Fi, begins. Back home, so I had been keeping right. it. So I gave him a bunch of wine, and right. I can't even remember if I gave him all of what I, he was owed at the time. We were both really struggling. I was uh, obviously pretty up, uptight. That's the worst thing that ever happened to me and my crew, ever, uh, personally. With with my, I mean, and he was he was like my partner. My inability, without the amounts of money that was needed, I just got very frightened and shrank, and I left him on the battlefield. I mean, I, that is the biggest thing in my life that still haunts me. Working outside the law is like war. The smuggler has an enemy, the government. And being taken by the enemy in smuggling or war has the same consequences. Downfall, ruin, prison. Sadly, after Hi-Fi was busted, 
my dad buried his head in the sand like an ostrich, the same way Blondie did in the final straw trip. And aside from sending hi-fi some wine, my dad was too paralyzed to reach out again. Dad was afraid being connected to hi-fi would lead to his own arrest, and his subsequent silence became a heavy, secret burden. My dad never knew exactly what happened to Hi-Fi after the bust. They drifted apart, and entombed secrets lay hidden. Now, when I started this podcast, my dad hadn't spoken to Hi-Fi in 27 years. Throughout our interviews, dad kept mentioning Hi-Fi, expressing a longing to reconnect, reach out, and apologize. So I went to New York to see if Hi-Fi would be willing to talk about it. All right, I'm at an old Italian restaurant founded in 1956. It's called Forlini's. It's on the edge of Chinatown in Little Italy. And I'm meeting the, my dad's guy in New York. Uh, stay tuned. We hope he will talk to me on tape. <laughs> I meet him at a restaurant you'd find Tony Soprano in. Red booths, giant plates of marinara, and lifelong Italian waiters who act like adoring uncles you've known your whole life. Now, I haven't seen Hi-Fi since 1992, my senior year in high school. And he tells me he chose the eatery because he and Neil went there in the early 80s. But it took that visit and a lot more conversations for him to be willing to talk about it on tape. Finally, I spoke to him on the phone a few days before the release of this episode. And Hi-Fi's traumatic story reveals that my dad got out of pot smuggling by the skin of his teeth. So here's Hi-Fi. So I met with him and, you know, it didn't feel right right from the get-go. We met with the guy and, you know, he looked kind of nervous. And it wasn't the usual kind of connection that I was used to doing with your father. This guy opens up a trunk and uh, in the back of a van, I believe, and there was basically a hodgepodge of, of product. You know, look, looking back on it, it looked like something that was seized because a lot of it was loose in bags and in cylinders. It, it wasn't consistent. It looked like, looked like it was commandeered or, or, you know, seized out of somewhere. But struggling, I was very disappointed, but, you know, I looked at your father and said, yeah, yeah. That's all the best we can do right now. Like my dad, Hi-Fi had also been struggling financially. Because once my dad retired in 1988, part of Hi-Fi's business also disappeared. So I'm, I'm driving and uh, through Indiana, and I get into Ohio. You know, on, on, on the interstate, there's apparent construction going on. But next to the construction zone, you know, there's this trooper. You know, and I see him, and he's got binoculars. So as I approach and pass him, he pulls out. I said, okay, that's interesting. He comes behind me, flashes the lights, pull over. Okay, so I pull over, and I look, and it's a canine unit. He comes out with the dog, walks the dog around my car. He didn't even say anything to me. So after, the, you know, whatever the dog does, I guess the dog pointed because, yeah, I had, I had product on it and it wasn't very, very well packaged. You know, my mistake, shame on me. My dad and Hi-Fi had packaged the 50 pounds in a motel room in Indiana, so they weren't in their own space with their customary tools. And the pot wasn't as carefully packaged as usual. 
From the beginning, the entire trip felt stressful, rushed, and ill-prepared. I rolled down the window and says, you know, you know, you know why you're being stopped. I said, no. I said, okay, can I see your driver's license? You know, he didn't say why. Okay. So I gave him my driver's license and all that. And he says, well, I walked the dog around your car. Okay. And we have cause to search, you know, to, to search your car. Can we search your car? I said, no. Right. And I said, you know, you're not giving me cause. Of me, you stopping me, I, I have seen no reason for you to, to search my car. He tells me to come out of the car, I come out of the car, he handcuffs me, tells me to sit down. So I sit down, I'm gone, fully cooperative. So he opens up the trunk, finds, finds the stuff, okay. Then he calls in whoever, and I'm still sitting there. A tow truck, you know, comes and they load, load the car that I was in. He puts me in back of his vehicle. Now, mind you, all this is not protocol for arrest. And I knew that. That's why I was cooperating. Now, just so you know, you know, the protocol is that, you know, when you're arrested, you know, there's supposed to be, especially with contraband or any suspect of illegal product, you know, in the car, there has to be a supervisor, especially with seizure of product, seizure of property, okay? He can't be the only one that, that, that does this. Has to be witnessed by a supervisor. They take Hi-Fi to jail, and he calls his New York colleague, who alerts Hi-Fi's wife and a lawyer. The officials move Hi-Fi to a high-security jail with local murderers and bank robbers, and he's there for a week until his new Ohio lawyer arrives to talk about the future. And according to the lawyer, it's grim. So, so you know you're going to do at least seven years, right? It's mandatory, and you're probably going to do more. So this guy's already given me up. This is supposed to be my defense lawyer. So, you know, when he goes out, you know, I see him go to a different room and he's talking to the, you know, to, to, to the DA, the prosecutor, okay, and the cops that are in there, in there. Now, this guy's supposed to be on my side. Hi-Fi, justly unsatisfied with this lawyer who's already given him up for guilty, gets a recommendation for a superior lawyer from his new bank robber friend and cellmate. So he says, you know, one thing that you have to tell me is that we're going to sit down and you have to tell me exactly, you know, second by second what happened. Okay, so I basically told him the same thing I just told you. And he says, yeah, you know, he says, you know, I, I think we've got something here. You know, what, later, later I found out that, uh, you know, the, 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 the cop that, that arrested me, you know, was a rookie. And they were giving him the caller. You know, now my suspect is, I'm suspicious up to this point. Somebody, somebody dropped a dime on me. Now, Hi-Fi believes that someone dropped a dime on him. And at this moment, sitting in an Ohio jail, he doesn't know who, but realizes my dad is a possibility. I mean, the first question you'd think of is, did I drop a dime on him? Yeah, he wondered. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, and to, I mean... That's the, the, I mean, and that was really ugly stuff to think that my partner, Ish, thought that I dropped a dime on him. That's how ugly it was. That's how sad it was. Hi-Fi's in jail for a month. He puts up $25,000 for bail, plus 10000 up front for his new lawyer, and he spent 6000 already for the previous inadequate lawyer. 
So he's already out 40000 and he hasn't even gone to trial. Now, thankfully, the superior lawyer recommended by the bank robber wins Hi-Fi his freedom. But he's in enormous debt. In desperation to pay back his legal debt, Hi-Fi sets up a trip with the Mexican cartel. And his family pressures Hi-Fi to work with his brother-in-law on the trip. Okay, and I've done business with him before, before, and he was—he didn't have a good track. I've lost product with him before, but being family and people in the family are begging me, listen, give him another chance. You know, you'll make good and all that. I got the trip together, and you know, Mexican Mexican cartel, as we know, you know, they don't—they don't—they don't bullshit around. You know, and I felt confident that I could turn, you know, turn it over and pay him back and all that. But next thing I know is that. Uh, These people telling me that they lost the trip. The trip goes terribly wrong. Hi-Fi's brother-in-law and associate end up losing the Mexican cartel's pot, or betraying Hi-Fi, depending how we look at it. And the Mexican cartel's pot was worth $450,000, worth over $800,000 in today's money, leaving Hi-Fi massively in debt to the Mexican cartel. So Hi-Fi meets up with the two traders to figure out what to do. You know, so I'm telling them, I says, listen, you know, I said, we, we, we've got to come up with a payment on this. Maybe I can negotiate them down, but we got to start paying them back. You know, so this other guy that with him, you know, I says, he, he, he says, what? You know, you want war? We'll give you war. I said, war? He says, you know, right then and then, I said, okay, you know, these guys, these guys are out of their minds. We don't deal in those parameters, you know, like, like, like they're talking about, you know. It's all gentlemen and handshakes and all that. I felt like, you know, I said, okay, you know, because I'm capable of, I, I was going to waste them right there and then. But then I said, okay, you know, if I do that, then, then what? I go to jail for a couple of low lives. Hi-Fi is referring to his brother-in-law and his brother-in-law's associate, now, ultimately, Hi-Fi is responsible for the product, and these guys put Hi-Fi's life on the line. He severs all contact with them. I never talked to them. I never contacted them. and They blacklisted them, and, and that didn't go over well because, you know, my, my family's going, what happened, this and that. You know, I said, well, you know, let's, let's keep it that way. I, I don't want anything to do with this guy ever again. What ended up happening to these guys is the guy that once said he wanted war, he got shot by his own people, killed. And the guy that, uh, you know, that, that betrayed me, family member, he ended up going to jail and he died in jail. Yeah, karma, karma's a bitch, isn't it? Now this sounds brutal, but remember, Hi-Fi is the son of concentration camp survivors, Holocaust freedom fighters, Plus, he's a Vietnam vet. Furthermore, Hi-Fi got into smuggling as a bodyguard for a reason. He excels at keeping people safe. And his brother-in-law's deadly betrayal has just turned Hi-Fi into a bullseye for the Mexican cartel. I had met with the cartel, you know, in mid-Manhattan, and... and I thought I wasn't going to walk out of there, but but I had backup. I said, "Listen, any, anything happens to me, you know, because you know I had, I had guys look look looking out for me, 
in case something did happen, you know, we were going to escalate the, the meeting. You know, but nothing happened. He says, okay, you know, he says, he says, listen, just give me time to work this out, uh, you know, and I'll make good on it. And I did. Okay, but it took me a long time. Now, always spectacular at his job, Hi-Fi made a deal with the Mexican cartel. And after 10 years of arduous work, repaid his debt. And he tells me, at the end of it all, he's not afraid of who's behind him. But along with the casualty of colleagues, the Mexican cartel's pot, and 10 years of high-stakes debt, was the loss of the friendship between Hi-Fi and my dad. We, we were great business partners and friends for a, a good decade. But, you know, when things went south, for whatever reason, you know, I tried to reach out, but, but it wasn't reciprocal, I guess. Why didn't my dad connect with Hi-Fi after his bust? Shame and guilt. My dad was embarrassed he couldn't help his comrade. Ashamed he couldn't save him. So he just shut down and buried the whole thing. Never spoke a word about this trip to anyone, including my mom. Until now. Did you wonder why Hi-Fi didn't come around anymore? No, because we had quit. We had quit years. We had quit, so we we just, I thought we had quit. She didn't know this. I oh. did this secretly. You I know, just said I was going uh, uh, going on a trip. Do something with something, right. you know, and so I didn't, like, I was always like, I had no idea. That would have been awful. I mean, it was awful when our, our friend his, who introduced us to him died, but that this was really awful, too. Yeah. Awful. And I... I just didn't want to dump it on you also. I didn't feel like you needed to carry this this burden. Well, it, it's, it's uh, I don't know if that's a good idea. Well, usually when you do something like that, you take your own responsibility. You don't expect other people to bail you out, well, especially if they don't have any money. <laughs> no, I, I'm... <laughs> so, yeah. I'm well aware. You know, like irresponsible yeah. to my family. Well, no, that, well, you weren't. You were. You were. Well, he was as close it, to it, us as anybody was. When he? you do something and you get caught, it's your responsibility. He your didn't your trip. Snitch. Right. He, he did snitch. what he did. Uh-huh. He didn't snitch. That oh he he was straight right. right. He didn't at right. all. He was always true to his word, and you were. I mean, you didn't. We didn't have any money. At that point That's in time. That's when we when, lost the, the yes. whole house. Uh, I just really went into a uh, uh, a deep hole. Oh, that's when I, you went your depression, your year-long depression. Uh, might be. Where and you then, just and wouldn't then, get out of the couch. Remember, you couldn't get up for months. Mm. You just laid there and watched television on the red couch in the den. Yeah, what do you remember yeah. about him at that time? Then he got really depressed. Really depressed. 1992? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what I... I don't don't know... Right. There was nothing I could do, but that doesn't... That that doesn't... I mean, you were both kind of really dumb to go out there without any... Without anything. No, Ed, right. Yeah. Really dumb. Having your back covered is important. uh, 
I'm sorry, I didn't mean to Yeah, well, no, it's important to to have the wherewithal to back up what you're doing (laughs) in case, just in case, because, like, obviously you thought you guys were never going to get in trouble. Witnessing my dad reveal this story to my mom was incredible and cathartic for all of us. And we all feel lighter, free, disencumbered. How do you feel, Mom, hearing this? I I feel that Walter accused himself of not being good enough. I mean, this was, like, very horrible, but it happens. Like, I, you know, you deal with it. Do you wish you had known? Uh, yeah. Because it would have caused him no less suffering. You know, actually. You could have shared the suffering with him. Yeah. Well, he's still suffering. Because you should never, like, think that you should never think that you're not good enough because you couldn't do anything. I mean, we all knew that we couldn't do anything without a lot of money, you know? Oh. Then you get more desperate and more desperate. How do you feel? How do I feel? Having told Mom. I feel greatly relieved, and I feel that what I have known most of our whole lives is how this person has been my partner my whole life and supported me through the ups and downs of mine and our mistakes and has uh, so I feel I feel um, amazed. Telling my mom his big secret about leaving Hi-Fi on the battlefield lifted an enormous burden from my dad. But there's one more thing my parents want to do, to release shame and guilt and heal the wounds of the past. Apologize to Hi-Fi and thank him for not turning them in. Now, next week's episode is the last of this season. We wrap up with my dad's smuggling career, and I reflect on being a smuggler's daughter with one of my closest friends who shares the same title as me, but experienced a very different childhood. And my parents give Hi-Fi a call. I'm Rainbow Valentine. This is Disorganized Crime, Smuggler's Daughter. Disorganized Crime, Smuggler's Daughter, is written and recorded by me, Rainbow Valentine. Our producers are Gabby Watts and Taylor Church. Executive producers are Brandon Barr, Brian Lavin, Elsie Crowley, and me at School of Humans, and Connell Byrne and Charles Bryant at iHeartRadio. Our music is by Gabby Lala and Claire Campbell, with original theme by Mark Karen and me. You can follow us online at disorganizedcrimepodcast.com.
in a doobie Young, rich and groovy Making it up as we roll along Rolling along Far out country road Following the sunshine as we go-go Chasing after dogs and kids and kilos And making it up Seals the deal, grab the stash, seal the meal, and load up these old wheels. Rolling a doobie, young, rich, and groovy, making it up as we roll along. Rolling along, far out country road. Rolling along, far out country road. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.